First lesson from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, the seventh chapter. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but, what, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law, and that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We rise. Holy Gospel from St. Matthew, the 11th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. We Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Why doesn't anyone feel like they have any time today? Where does all the time go? Why are you so tired? There's a French philosopher in the 17th century. His name was Blaise Pascal. You may never have heard of him, but I'm sure you've probably heard of at least Pascal's wager. That is, he's the one who said, it's better to bet all your chips in life on Christ because if you're wrong, it does you no harm. But if you don't bet all your chips on Christ and you're wrong, it costs you everything. I think most people have heard that. He has an answer, though, that I don't think you're going to like. He said this, don't forget, in the 17th century. I find that rather intriguing. He said the reason we don't have time, the reason we're so tired, is that we want complex lives. We don't have to. We want to. We want to be hurried. We want to be hassled. We want to be busy. Does that describe you? Does that sound like you? Do you feel like you want these things. I don't think it really matters what stage of life we're in. I hear this from people all the time, that they're too busy, their schedule's too full, that they're worn out. 
he goes on, though, he doesn't stop there. He says, why? Why is it that we do this? He says it's so we don't have to think. So we don't have to think about ourselves, and so we don't have to think about God and who he is. He says we think we want rest, but really what we want is we want activity. We want to be busy. So consider, why is it so many people are involved in what they call doom scrolling? That is, you have your phone in front of you and you just scroll and scroll and scroll, and pretty soon you forgot what you were looking at to begin with, and you're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Or maybe it's Netflix binging or news binging, just watching all day, every day, consuming these things. Booking every spare moment of our time, having to have constant noise because we don't want to deal with the silence. Now, of course, I'm not saying that looking at social media or watching the news or watching something on Netflix is wrong. But I think Pascal's point makes us at least ask ourselves, why, when we start spending so much time on those things, why are we doing it? He says it's because we want to be busy. So not only do we do that, as if that wasn't bad enough, but then also we get caught up in seeking false rest when we finally think we do want to take a break. The context for our text, it says, at that time, Jesus declared. Well, what is that time? He had just told some people, in response to the accusations against John the Baptist, he says, they say John has a demon because he didn't eat and drink, and they say the Son of Man is a glutton and a drunkard because he did. And then he says, and I love these verses, he says, it's kind of like children playing a game. They play a happy, upbeat, like wedding march, and they want you to dance. They play a funeral dirge, and they want you to be sad. In other words, the crowds, the Pharisees, others, they wanted Jesus and John to perform a certain way, and they wouldn't do it. And then he denounces some cities. And he said it would be better for them, or it was better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for them because of what the Lord's going to do in his judgment against them. And then that's when he says, at that time, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now the context, again, is those who think they're wise and understanding. Those who have rejected John and rejected Jesus. That's the context for this saying of our Lord's. And so false rest is found when it comes to salvation, when you look to yourself. When you look to your own works, your own activity, your own strength, your own efforts, your own wisdom. When you begin looking at those things to save you, there is no rest. But it's also true for the Christian life. As a Christian, if you are busy thinking, I must do these things, and if I do these things, the Lord will be more pleased with me. He will love me more. Won't that be great? If we live the Christian life thinking that what God gives us in his word is a burden, if we strive in our own efforts, what do we do? We burn out. 
we have no rest. We get tired and grumpy, and like the laborers in our Lord's parable, at the end of it all, we're just angry with our Lord's generosity. And that can happen either knowingly, we knowingly do these things, but oftentimes it happens in Christian life unknowingly. You don't even realize you're caught up in that game. You don't realize that you're thinking incorrectly about salvation or the Christian life. We also look for false rest when we make the wrong things the most important things. I suggest three things of the most importance, and they're going to be three P's to make it easy to remember. Prayer, people, and place. Prayer, I don't love, but it, it works for the alliteration. But prayer as a shorthand for worship, for receiving God's gifts and responding in prayer and praise and thanksgiving. People, the people God has especially placed directly into your life, and place. This local community where God has placed you, those are the most important things. When we get that out of order and we begin to think other things are more important than those three, then what do we have? Confusion, chaos, unrest. Our rest and peace and joy are stolen from us. Think about the people of Israel as they wandered around the deserts during the Exodus wandering. They thought they knew better than what God was trying to do for them. They're constantly complaining against God. They're constantly rejecting what he wanted to give them. He promised them that he would give them rest in the land. That's what he promised them. And yet, what do they say? This is too hard. It would have been better had we just been slaves in Egypt. At least there we had what we wanted. They couldn't see what God was doing for them, how he was giving them the true rest. The book of Hebrews says it's not much different for us as Christians that we are to, he says, strive to enter God's rest. Because we need that rest here and now, even this very evening. Why? Well, how many came in tonight burdened with the guilt of sin? How many came in tonight because you've been struggling against a particular sin, and no matter how hard you try, it seems like that sin has the upper hand day in and day out. Maybe you're worn out because of battered relationships and a broken heart. And you come dragging those things in here this evening. Maybe it's nothing as extreme as those. Perhaps it's just the regular strains and stresses of life. And it's because of these things, and because these things the world offers and the devil offers only give us false rest, that we need the true rest that Christ promises to give us in our reading. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When it comes to salvation, we confess something a little weird in the Lutheran church. Have you ever thought about this in the third article of the Creed? We confess, I believe that I cannot believe. Well, that's strange. You're confessing that you believe that you can't believe. Well, why? I cannot by my own reason or strength believe. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, 
sanctified and kept me in the true faith. You see, false rest comes from looking to our own works and efforts and wisdom. True rest comes in humbling ourselves and looking to Jesus' strength and wisdom and efforts. That's where we find rest. It's the end of ourselves. When we quit looking to ourselves and look to him, when, as he says, we come to him, so too for the Christian life. Luther has a wonderful little book. It's very small. You can probably read it in about an hour or so. It's called The Freedom of a Christian. And in that, he says, our freedom is this, that before God, we're completely free in our conscience. We know that sin does not condemn us. We know that we cannot and will not earn our salvation. That frees us up then to live our Christian lives knowing that we're not trying to earn brownie points with God. We're not trying to earn his love or favor. We live the Christian life in light of the fact that we're saved and redeemed and already have the fullness of God's love poured upon us. So that we can live our lives then at an unhurried pace. We don't have to be running here, there, and everywhere trying to earn anything. We can live a life of Christian freedom, knowing that at the end of the day, God's going to bless our efforts, knowing that he's pleased with us because of Christ Jesus. And all of this, though, this rest has a sure and certain foundation. It is here in the divine service. There's a little book called Leisure as the Basis of Culture by a man named Joseph Pieper. And his argument in this book is that all rest, things that are actually restful, flow from and always have in all cultures at all times and places worship. This is the heart of where all rest comes from. Our own culture not that long ago acknowledged this. All of you probably remember a time not too long ago when Wednesday nights were free of any activities. Your kids didn't have sports scheduled. They didn't have anything. And Sunday mornings, likewise completely free. There's an understanding that what happens here is the foundation for any rest or any restful activities you're going to engage in anywhere else. Perhaps, and I was thinking about this, this imagery that this book uses to talk about this, perhaps the place where you experience this the most is if you've ever been on a really great vacation And you finally get to that point so many days in where you've disconnected from work, you've disconnected from the troubles and cares of life, and you're really just in the moment enjoying it. And you finally take a breath and you feel a moment of rest, of relaxation. It gives us a small small picture of what the Lord has in store for us. True rest only flows from God's gifts given in this place through his word and sacraments. And it's spiritual maturity. As we grow in the faith, we don't look at these things and think, oh, I need them less. As you grow in the faith, you actually look at these things and say, oh, I need them more. I need them more than I did last year or the year before because we come to know our own sinful hearts more and more as we grow in the faith. It's kind of ironic, right? As you grow as a Christian, you realize how much more sinful you were than you thought you were. And Jesus says, that's what I'm here for. Come to me. We have here in this place, you're blessed, you have Sunday, word and sacrament to give you rest, and you also have midweek. My first week here, 
the first Wednesday I was in my office was a terrible day. Terrible. I got bad news after bad news after bad news, all unconnected, unrelated. I barely had time to eat, and by the time I got my family in here, I was worn out. I was beat down. And yet what happened? We began to sing the liturgy. And I got to hear God's word in the music. I got to hear God's word read. I got to hear God's word preached by Pastor Walther. And it didn't remove those problems. They didn't go away. But even in the midst of those problems, I was able to find rest in the middle of the week for those burdens had been placed upon me just moments before that. We have a really great imagery of this. Your name of this congregation is Good Shepherd. Before we get to Psalm 23, though, let's think about Psalm 22, because they're in that order for a reason, not just numerically, but the content. Psalm 22 is about Christ's death for you, but it ends with his resurrection for you. Psalm 23 is the crucified and risen shepherd king who leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. It is the crucified and risen shepherd king who says, you shall not lack a thing. It is the crucified and risen shepherd king who leads you beside the still baptismal waters, who leads you to the green grass of his holy word, who sets a table before you with his very body and blood. Why? So that you might have true rest. I don't always love paraphrases of the Bible, but I found this one helpful from Psalm 9. God's a safe house for the battered, a sanctuary during bad times. The moment you arrive, you relax. You're at rest. You're never sorry you knocked. In Isaiah 26, we hear, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. Your mind can only be at peace if your mind's at rest. Right? The two go together. A mind that's not at peace cannot be at rest. But when our eyes are fixed on Christ and what he gives to us, then we can have true rest. And so Christ says his yoke is easy. Now, I know we're, we're tempted to think automatically of animals, but in the Old Testament, the word yoke is used primarily for slavery of people. It's a punishment that God breaks. And in fact, if you think about it, all these forms of false rest are just forms of slavery, just ways to keep us from the true rest. In fact, I believe the book of Ecclesiastes, we can get more into this another time, another place, it's one of the greatest witnessing tools we have today, because what's it about? Solomon goes looking everywhere for pleasure and rest, and he decides that you can't have it apart from Christ. That's what Jesus is telling us here. His yoke is easy. The church father said his yoke is bird feathers for you that enables you to fly. My guess is they were thinking of Isaiah 40. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall fall exhausted. Right? Even the best athletes in this congregation, they get tired. They get worn out. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So Jesus says, come to him. He's not there to place additional burdens upon you. He's there to release you, to free you from the yoke that gives you false and incomplete and terrible rest. 
and he frees you to give his peace and rests. Who does he do this for? He says, all, all who come to me. So what do you need rest from tonight? The burden of guilt and sin? Come to Jesus. Battered relationships and broken hearts? Come to Jesus. The various strains and stresses of life? Come to Jesus. Whatever it is, whatever it was, come to Jesus. And he promises to be found here in this place in his holy word and his holy sacrament to do what? To give you rest. In fact, the Bible promises that he himself is your rest. He has promised he will do this for you, no matter how weary and tired you feel this night. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.